Good morning and welcome. It's the Patriot Radio News Hour live on a hump day. Happy Wednesday. I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group, and our toll-free number, 800-951-0592. The website at allamericangold.com. Make sure it's part of your daily routine as we try to keep you in the know. It is Federal Reserve Day. Well, kind of. They have a meeting, but they don't tell anybody about it. They don't even have a press conference, but they will be releasing a statement in a little over about three hours from now. And everybody is hoping for clues as to what will be coming next from the large the largest mafia organization the world has ever seen, the Federal Reserve. Uh, another new all-time record highs on Wall Street. Today, matter of fact, the Dow's up 100 points, all of it one company, Boeing today. Uh, Boeing came out, and they loved it. Uh, earnings were good. Stock buybacks, good. Lack of R&D development, good. Getting rid of U.S. workers, good. Moving plants to China, good. Everything was good. Uh, matter of fact, Boeing all by itself making up the entire uh, Matter of fact, I think without Boeing, the Dow would actually be down today. Uh, that's how important of a stock Boeing is. Matter of fact, they said Boeing is a 50% year-to-date. Don't worry, there's no bubble to be found. Everything is just wonderful. And, and not that, hey, not that Boeing isn't managing uh, itself very well. I'm sure it probably is. Uh, but what, what I do know is what Boeing's been what? They've been, just the fact, they've been laying off here. They've been uh, moving more jobs somewhere else, right? Ch- uh, primarily China, their finishing plant over there. Of course, they say that doesn't affect U.S. workers, but we know better. Um, and, and revenue. I think for me, all of these things. So this morning I'm watching, and a lot of companies had their earnings out this morning, and I'm watching along the bottom. You know, as uh, I guess how how the stock channels are anymore. You got they got the people talking, and then you got all kinds of stuff going along the bottom, and they were company after company earnings beat expectations. And then right after that, revenue missed its expectations. And it was really over and over and over. And then there was there was maybe one or two companies that actually missed on both. Uh, and maybe one or two, and I don't, I say maybe, because I know that I saw a couple that missed on both. I don't actually remember seeing any that beat on both. In other words, hey, our, not only did our, did we beat expectation and I don't know what the expectations are right and they don't tell you was that better than last year worse than last year or or, or what it is and and I find it interesting because they always are, you know 70 percent of companies beat expectations every quarter doesn't that mean that the people doing the expectations <laughs> need to find something else to do that they're not very good I don't know uh, but nonetheless, it is a new record. It's a new all-time high. Don't be worried. There is no bubble. Nobody can find one anywhere. And I'm positive that this afternoon, Janet Yellen, at least in their 
couple of paragraphs that they're going to release won't see one either. But that's why you listen right here, so you can be ready for what is going to come next. Yesterday, we did a big show about uh, blockchain technology and Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And me and Ramon were talking uh, before the show started. And he's like, man, I'm, con- I'm more confused than ever. <laughs> he goes, I guess it does sound like the 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 cryptocurrencies, you know, they, they do the data mining, you know, and we were kind of joking around, uh, wondering if they have, like, uh, the data equivalent of a geologist, right? And he surfs all of the web and looks through all of the data and tells the people, hey, I think down here, <laughs> here's where we need to start digging. And about 10 miles down there through all the data, there's going to be a crypto coin down there somewhere. I don't know. There must be. I bet there is. I, I'm laughing, thinking that's a joke, but I'm sure that's probably what it is. I don't really understand that part either. I don't know what it is that they're mining or what type of algorithms and all of that stuff. But I think the big takeaway from yesterday, the the coin right the cryptocurrency that's not the real thing it's the blockchain technology that's what it is that is what the central banks are looking for which is the first of all the electronic journal entries the ability of i guess scalability can we develop a platform that the entire world can be on. You talk about, let's just level the playing field. Forget about sovereignty. Forget about borders. Forget about any of those things. Forget about country. And let's just level the playing field and let's develop a global platform. And it appears that that's exactly what's happened. Uh, this, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, Ethereum or Ethereum or whatever it's called. Apparently, they believe that they have it. We know Bitcoin doesn't. Uh, but but then again, like I said, it's the scalability and the ability of the central banks to be able to essentially get rid of all borders get rid of all all uh, nationalities and all the countries and all of that stuff. Patriot Radio News Hour. We'll be back after the break. Butter in your biscuit. Patriot Radio News Hour. Write this number down if you haven't memorized it. Because you're going to need it. 800-951-0592. This is not a a message to scare you. Those a lot of people out there think it is. This isn't a a message of doom and gloom. Even more people think that's true. This is simply a message of what it is really happening. And I find it amazing as as we're, you know, finding out more and more about this blockchain tech 
methodology and how you see Wall Street reading it up. They got Bitcoin near $3,000 and people are like, oh yeah, it's like gold. It's better than gold. That's all by design, right? They want they want buy-in, and they're going to get it. What they don't want you to know is what the cost is going to be. The cost to your freedom, the cost to our to our country, to our borders. You think that the destruction has been great now? Christine Lagarde. Some of you know that name. Uh, and for those of you that don't, shame on me. But she's the managing director of the IMF, of the International Monetary Fund. She was, uh, where was she? She was at, a, at the Center of Global Development. It was called the Center of Global Development and it was in Washington, D.C., and this was on Monday. And she was talking about looking into the future, the dream binoculars. Well, she was letting us know that she's lowering GDP forecast for the United States. <laughs> that was at, you know, the whole stock market's all-time high. She started talking about the possibility of relocating the group's headquarters and relocating them to China. We may not be sitting in Washington, D.C., she said. Her comments reflect concerns that world world leaders have about the changing role of the United States in global organizations. The articles of the organization, you know, when you form a business, you have to fill out uh, these forms called the Articles of Incorporation. Right? The IMF has the Articles of the Organization. And in those articles, you state who the holders of the company are going to be, and then also the location of where that business is going to be. In that, in those articles of the organization, it clearly states the headquarters should be the country of the member with the largest economy. The United States, Britain, and other global powers, which met in Bretton Woods in 1944, right, this is how the IMF came about, near the end of World War II, the United States was the overwhelming economic power. Now you fast forward. Right here we sit, it's 2017, and now they're talking about how the United States 
is not so overwhelming anymore. It said in the decision to base both the IMF and the World Bank in the United States and, and in the capital in Washington, D.C. It is a decision that is being questioned given the growth of economies like India and China. Beijing has signaled its eagerness to play a better role in the global economy with the rise of the Chinese-backed regional institution, right? The, they talk about the Asian Infrastructure Bank and the African Infrastructure Bank, right? China's now kind of what? They're out there giving out money to all these underdeveloped countries, kind of like the United States was doing. And they said that Lagarde went on to say she didn't want to play down the impact of the United States, but that the world is changing, pointing out that the emerging and low-income countries now contribute 60% of world GDP and 80% of all of its growth. And we are number two, we actually need to look at where the money is being invested. These were comments made by Christine Lagarde at the at a global development meeting in Washington DC this week. Look at it's real simple. Okay? We gave it all away. We've lost the economic power that we used to have, that we clearly had. And now people are saying, hey, by 20, and in that, she gave a time frame, by the way, 2027. And isn't that interesting? Because what have I been telling you all year? This is 2017. It starts the decade of deficit blow-up in the developed world. Right, and we're seeing it already, right? We just this year, right, we've seen Puerto Rico blow up. <laughs> Illinois is essentially done. Right? They did pass a budget, but not one rating agency lifted their their levels. There's still one level, right, one more cut and they're gonna be in junk and most of them are saying, Hey, they're already junk, we just haven't gotten around to doing it yet. Hartford, Connecticut Right. Every single pension fund probably in the country. And and you look at, you know, the the, the Wall Street numbers. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some numbers. And we can we can debate the ability for Wall Street to have the valuations that they have. I don't know if that's right, wrong, indifferent, but I wanna give you some numbers so you can make a, a educated decision all on your own. The S&P 500 adjusted price to earnings valuation has only been greater on one occasion that was the tech bubble of the late 1990s. 
valuations when adjusted for the prevailing economic growth trends. Okay, at least in the late 1990s, GDP growth was you know three and a half, four, four and a half, five percent is more overvalued today than it was before the the crash of 29 and before the crash of the tech bubble. S&P 500 sales ratio. And this is the one thing I keep like I talk I kind of chided the Boeing thing. Revenues didn't beat expectation, right? Revenue that's sales. S&P 500 stock price to sales ratio is at an all-time high. In other words, we've never given more valuation to the stock based on the low level of sales. Total domestic corporate profits have grown at an annualized rate of 0.97% over the last five years. Now, that actually feels exactly right, doesn't it? Yeah, we're kind of flat, right? We're not, it's not horrible. It's not, it's not horrible, but it's far from good. Prior periods, and really they're gonna say, just go back to 2000, the five-year annualized profit growth was 7.9%, which, by the way, included two recessions. Over the last 10 years, S&P 500 corporations have returned more money to shareholders via share buybacks and dividends than they've actually earned. It's incredible. <laughs> they've actually spent more money buying back their own stock and handing out dividends than they've actually earned over the last 10 years. The top 200 S&P 500 companies have pension shortfalls totaling $382 billion. Then they give an example. General Electric spent more on share buybacks, $45 billion, than the size of their entire pension shortfall, $31 billion, which ranks as the largest in the S&P 500. So nobody has, <laughs> no one's pension is more underfunded than GE's in the S&P 500, yet somehow, They've been able to buy back $45 billion worth of their own stock. I don't see a problem with that. Nah, no problem. Here's the thing. This, this 10 years that I keep talking about, that's when these things really start to get ugly. Because that's when the majority of the employees that were promised this money start collecting it. Using data back to 1987, the yield on maturity on high-yield, non-investment-grade debt is 
now only in the third percentile. In other words, you're getting paid the least amount pretty much, well, going back to 1987, ever for junk-related products, right? So even the risk you're not getting rewarded for. Real GDP has grown 1.97%, and 0.69% over the last three, five, and ten years, respectively. Now, in 10 years, I think the S&P is up like 265% with GDP growth of 0.69, because that included, what, some of the, the down years. But even like the last three years, and really throw this one in, this will be another year, 1.97. The Federal Reserve's forecast for real GDP 2.05 in 2018, 1.9 in 2019. Just a few more facts to come. Stay with us if you can take it. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, here's Ryan Haidt. Despite the pro-life mandate by the electorate last November, federal taxpayer funding of Planned Parenthood has continued with no end in sight even after the shocking revelations of atrocities committed against the unborn by that organization. McConnell rushed through a continuing resolution in April that gave the pro-abortion side everything they wanted on the issue. The House version to repeal and replace Obamacare, which passed on May 4, eliminated some of its worst parts and also prohibited the use of taxpayer funds to subsidize abortion. But senators quietly attempted to remove that ban in their version. As senators often do whenever the issue of abortion comes up, they try to deflect the issue to someone else to decide it for them. This time they outsourced the most important decision about the continuation of the Hyde Amendment to an unelected lawyer named Elizabeth McDonough, who is the Senate parliamentarian. The Senate can defer as much or as little as it likes to the parliamentarian. But the Senate leadership wants her to say that the Hyde Amendment cannot be part of a reconciliation bill and that it can be filibustered by the Democratic minority. McConnell showed that he can override the filibuster when he wants to, as he did in obtaining confirmation of Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. The spectacle of McConnell and other senators trying to hide behind the skirt of an obscure parliamentarian to avoid voting on abortion is silly. Obamacare, formerly called the Affordable Care Act, subsidizes the purchase of health plans that cover abortion. But Americans are overwhelmingly against compelling taxpayers to subsidize abortion, which is not health care. If Senate leaders think that they'll be able to avoid the issue of abortion by deferring to a parliamentarian, they are sorely mistaken. In September, the money runs out, and another continuing resolution will be required to avoid a government shutdown. It was widely perceived on both sides of the aisle that Democrats walked all over Republicans in the last continuing resolution, not merely on abortion, but on other issues, too. 
President Trump has vowed to avoid a repeat of that fiasco again this fall. 2017 marks 50 years of the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, mailed, broadcast, and posted online to millions of Americans eager to follow her traditional conservative perspective. We continue that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com, archiving the past, addressing today's key issues, and staying alert for the future. So bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back, Patriot Radio News Hour. But no one sees the bubble. Look at the numbers I'm telling you about. You know, and it's so funny because uh, you know when the people that buy gold, we don't really like to talk about it, right? And, and people, what they they they'll laugh or they'll snicker, right? And of course, they didn't laugh and snicker when the crash happened, but they're trying to pretend like it didn't, right? Here we watch the stock market and all these ridiculous all-time highs and you really start digging into these numbers is not very good but it's a debt market and so the one thing that really is true is the amount of debt has exploded federal government debt to gdp is right now at 106 percent in other words you know, the debt's $20 trillion <laughs> something, we don't know what, and GDP's, you know, $19 trillion. It's two times higher than it was at the end of 2000. And the debt in, in 2000 was, what, $5 trillion and change? And GDP... Was what over ten trillion? Ten, eleven, twelve trillion. Seventeen years later, we've added what fifteen, maybe sixteen. We don't know what the real number is quite yet. Trillion dollars of debt, and we've only added what seven or eight trillion dollars of alleged growth. And I say alleged because that's all inflation. <laughs> they say their overly optimistic forecast says the debt's going to be 130% in 10 years. It's going to be way more than that. Just letting you know. Right now, government deficits are forecast to grow at three times the rate of GDP. And I'm going to tell you that my estimates is five times. Because I think that instead of 106%, you're going to be looking at north of 200%. $8.6 trillion in corporate debt today. That's 30% higher than the peak of September 2008. So you'll hear a few, a few people that they allow to get on the idiot box will talk about that and how the risk today is actually greater than what it was in 08. And this is part of the reason. It says the, the ratio of corporate 
debt to GDP is at a historically all-time high. In other words, Wall Street has never had this much debt in relationship to GDP. In other words, they're about approaching 50% of GDP of debt. In 2016, the first baby boomers turned 70. And I've been talking about this, and you look at the volumes on Wall Street, it backs me up. When you turn 70, the government starts forcing you to sell your your IRA. You have to. Because they want their tax money. And you think about 10,000 boomers a day are now retiring, which is going to add more pressure to, to all of the government programs. And, of course, at the same time, they're going to be selling uh, their stocks. Who's going to buy them? And then, not to be the last one, I'm going to talk about the massive, unfunded state and local pension. Forget about Wall Street's pension. According to the Hoover Institute, this is a number as of May 2017, Current pension shortfall total over $3.8 trillion. And I just laugh because the states don't have a printing press. The cities don't have a printing press. And when you hear the, when we read the Fed minutes that come out here in a few hours, none of that's going to be in there. Right? None of that stuff's going to be in there. Instead, they're going to talk about, you know, how many bonds we're going to sell or not going to sell. Right? Uh, are we going to raise rates more or are we not? And then you're sitting there and you're left to wonder how it is that they act like they don't see any problem. The ratio is at all-time record highs. Right? And we know what happens when they get up here. <laughs> we see all of these crashes, and here it is again. Then you look at corporate debt levels. Never been this high. You look at the government debt. Right? They, they keep doing the, well, you know, it, it, it spiked there during World War II, but then it came right back down. I mean, there was, the, you know, World War II was going on. But we're getting ready to take out that number without a war and, and you sit there and I'm amazed that nobody wants to talk about it right everybody wants to live in fantasy land right they want to talk about this this great jobs recovery and then you know what when the truth comes out they just stop talking about it oh wait 44 million people got to work part-time job forget about that Let's just focus on this phony unemployment number instead, because that's better. Less American, all the way back to when they actually started keeping records. Own a home today. Stocks are at all-time highs. 44 million people got to work more than one job. Stocks all-time highs. Less people than ever own their home in the United States. Stocks at all-time highs. What's one's going to give, you think? 
Did you see new home sales today? Uh, new home sales today. They came out today. That report came out. And, and here's another thing we're just going to have to get used to. Right? They keep talking about this shortage. There is no shortage. Okay, we need to get that out of the repertoire. It doesn't exist. What there is is the inability of people to actually be able to afford to buy a new home or an existing home. That is the problem. Matter of fact, so so here is the numbers. It was six hundred and ten thousand. I'm going to tell you what that means when we return. Page of the Radio News Hour, economic prosperity or something much, much different. This is what we have to really decide. I was thinking about, no one I know. The stock market led me to economic prosperity. Selling other people's stocks has. But I don't know a guy who's like, yeah, that's all I did. I just bought stocks and I became a billionaire. But neither here nor there. Don't buy gold. Don't get ready. All of these numbers, I mean, they're just—I mean, they're just actual numbers. Forget, forget those. We don't want to deal with that. Besides, interest rates are low, so therefore it's okay. Keep telling yourself that. Housing is there this great shortage and really you look right here in Phoenix and I and I don't know about Denver but the, our Denver customers tell me the same thing the home for less than $300,000 has been replaced by an apartment complex period why because no one can afford the entry level starter home anymore Used to buy an entry level starter home in your 20s. Back in the day, a lot of people did it in their late teens. Because you could do that back in the 60s and the 70s. Now, most people, it's their late 30s, maybe even 40s, if at all. So they talk about, hey, 610,000 homes sold. And I want you to annualize. That's an annualized number. And a lot of those, by the way, just so we are clear, are really apartments. But they've, they've changed the name to townhome or luxurious condo or whatever it may be. But that's less than half. And I keep talking about it, right? It's less than half way less than half, by the way, than the peak in 2005. They say demand is being driven by a strong labor market, which is near full employment, right? That's that's the going blurb. If demand was so great, why wouldn't sales be better? It's not that good. That's why. Builders, they say, are struggling. Now we're going to get to facts. Okay? They're struggling to keep up amid rising lumber costs, shortage of labor. Let me really, there's no labor shortage. 
There's shortage of people that want to work for what they want to pay. Okay, so they got to pay more. And and then they said, oh, there's land. There's land. There's land everywhere. Trust me, there's no land shortage. Remember my buddy. Hey, listen, you want a house for under two hundred grand? I got a guy that can get you one. It's out in Arizona City. If you don't know where that is, look it up at a map. It's about an hour outside of town. The historic average going back since they kept records for starts, housing starts, 1.5 million units. And that's apartments and houses and condos and apartments. That's everything, okay? 1.5 million. That's the historic. That's an average year. Right? That's a, uh, wasn't that great that year? 1.5. Today, we're at 1.2. And by the way, here's the problem with that number. All the bad months are coming, right? So after the summer's over, right, September, October, November, December, so we'll probably finish at 1.1 and change. So you're looking at a number that, let's just say it's about 70% or or 30% less than the historical average. Yet we're at full employment. See what I'm saying? Do you get it yet? That's not good. Home builder confidence is dropping, and, and, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in these survey stuff anyway. The inventory, right? Remember, there's a supply problem. That's what they want you to believe. There is no supply problem. I'm telling you right now, I've been telling you for months, there is no supply problem. The problem is nobody can afford, the builders can't afford to build it, and the millennials can't afford to buy it. Do you know, let me, I'll give you the example of why uh, my friend was telling me how they did it. In Arizona City, 10 years, more than 10 years ago, this is how bad the boom got, right? And, and they started this subdivision down there. They put in all the sewer lines. They paved the streets. They actually put in the driveways before they call it quits. His company bought, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 lots down there the, uh, a month ago for two thousand dollars he put a bunch of his signs up there to let them know the lots are available to build and he got a call yesterday and the guy on the other end of the phone wanted to know how much they bought the lot for and my buddy told him we bought them for two thousand dollars and he goes because i got one and it cost me seventy thousand Right, because he bought it right at the peak there. So the only reason why they can even do it there is because everything was done. The sewers are in, the street is in, the driveway's in, and they only pay two grand. If they had to do it on their own, if they had to put the sewers in themselves, if they had to put the street in, if they had to put the driveways in, they couldn't be under 200000 This is the problem. By the way, inventories of new homes on the market was up 
Matter of fact, inventories for new homes are at the highest level from June of 2009. Just another fact. But why use facts when you can just say it's an inventory problem? It's an affordability problem, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to America. Patriot Radio News Hour, final segment coming up. Final segment, Patriot Radio News Hour, our toll free number 800 951 0592. That's when you take the time, put away a little more wealth insurance. You know what the numbers are, right? And nobody, nobody can see anything. I mean, I, I just, it's incredible to me. And really, and I've been saying it now for a while, it's been a bunch of corporate welfare. This is what the Federal Reserve has done. Don't be fooled. It wasn't for you, right? If you want any more proof of that, look at the fact that they've raised rates from zero to 1%. And yet the banks haven't paid you a single cent more on your on your CD or on your savings account, right? They've charged you more, but they haven't paid you a single cent more. Why? Because it's not for you. And today they're going to announce, I don't, you know, who knows what they're going to say. My, my guess is they're going to start the the bond program soon. I think that's going to be the, the big driver. And like I told you, it's such a small amount. But I've been reading today uh, what these Fed watchers have been saying. They're not taking the, the their balance sheet to zero. Uh, Goldman Sachs says that they may try to take it somewhere to between 2.5 to 3 trillion. Right? And that they're going to take 15 to 20 years to do that. Which all of us know there's no way we're going to go another 15 or 20 years without another form of bubble bursting or stock. Matter of fact, we probably should probably go through two or three of those episodes uh, in the next 15 to 20 years. And so my guess is all is we're really watching is nothing more than a dog and pony show. This is a, a made-for-TV event. You know, this is an event that they, they, it's staged, right? They're going to talk about, you know, how great of a job that they're doing, and, and we're going to start lowering our balance sheet, and it's going to be gradual, and, and we're just going to do it a little. Uh, Janet Yellen likes to say it's going to be like watching paint dry. And, and quite honestly, none of that is true. Yes, they were... It, and, I, and let me, I guess, yes, they are going to sell some, some other balance sheet. They will. It's not going to be a lot, and it's definitely not going to last. And we're already at this point, so now the next time the next bubble bursts, what's going to happen? <laughs> they're just going to buy it. Whatever they sold, they're going to buy that back, plus add on a couple more trillion, two, three, four, five, ten trillion. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. When you think about all the things that are going on out there, this rush to the blockchain technology, now the IMF saying, hey, you know, our rules kind of state. Yeah. We can see ourselves in China in in the next ten years, right? Because they're going to be number one. I don't know. Uh, But take the time, put it away, um, 
we still have some dimes from yesterday. So they're, they're the dimes, uh, a roll of 50 dimes at, at $65 at 800-951-0592. We're just a few hours away from the releasing of the Fed minutes. Uh, gold's 1248 uh, Silver's at 1645 and the Dow's at a new all-time high. Again, Patriot Radio News Hour. We'll talk about what the Fed had to say yes tomorrow. Everyone take care. Have a great rest of your day.